Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello and welcome to episode number 158 of the Draft Analyst, presented by the Believe Sports Podcast Network. Do you believe? This is Chris Capote, and I'm joined by Tony Pauline, as always, and seven weeks of college football are now behind us, although none of those have included the Big Ten, which is set to change this week with the conference now returning to the field. We'll discuss a couple of those as games to watch this weekend, but Tony, now we've got every major conference back on the field before November. It's fair to call this a pretty big win after everything that happened about two months ago. Well, the Pac-10, uh, I'm sorry, the Pac-12 is actually going to start in, a, in a, what is it, two weeks. So we, we still got to wait for them. The, the Mountain West also starts this week, which is good news. The thing with the Big Ten and eventually when the Pac-12 gets started, there's very uh, uh, there's a small margin of error for those uh, conferences. We've seen a couple of times, in the, especially in the SEC, we've seen it in the Sun Belt a couple of times in, in Conference USA, where because of COVID-19, games have had to be rescheduled in the beginning of the first couple of weeks of December, the big 10 and especially the Pac-12 when they kick off, they're not going to have that same luxury. So it'll be interesting to see what the committee does as far as maybe pushing back the decision to see, uh, you know, who the final four teams are going to be for the national title game. If in fact those conferences or at least the top teams in those conferences have to have games delayed or postponed because of COVID-19. Or Pac-12 being downgraded uh, by me for, to a non, non-major conference. But we'll continue this show even, even with that slight at the conference to our west here. When we'll get to the show in just a minute. But first, a word from our sponsor. The NFL season, in addition to the college football season, is now officially in full swing. And while you might not be at the game this year, you can still be in on all the action at Bet Online. The Giants picked up a win, as did the Falcons last weekend, leaving the New York Jets as the lone winless team in the NFL. And now there are odds posted on whether the Jets will go 0-16, Tony. Yeah, and I wouldn't take those odds because you know what's going to happen with the New York Jets. They're going to be 0-13. It looks like they're going to have the first pick of the draft and select with the ability to select Trevor Lawrence. And then for some reason, they'll go on a three-game winning streak at the end of the season and end up with the fourth or fifth pick and get locked out of the top two quarterbacks. Yeah, and it's about 5-1 to one against them going winless. So uh, the bookmakers agree with you. And from game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, BetOnline gives you more options to wager than any place online. There's also the online casino as well. It never closes. So head to BetOnline.ag today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Again, that's BetOnline.ag and sign up today. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. And we're back with this week's For the Record, and we're going to do a similar draft scenario to the ones that we've done the past couple weeks. This time, we'll look at the Jacksonville Jaguars. They're on the clock. Let's just say they're picking number four overall. Certainly possible with all these teams in a glut at one and five. Now, Gardner Minshew, obviously a fun story, but the Jags are going to have a shot at pretty much any quarterback not named Trevor Lawrence or Justin Fields. Trey Lance is the guy most put number three. We discussed him last week. But really, watch out for BYU's Zach Wilson right now. 
hottest quarterback in the nation, pretty much the biggest riser at the position as well in 2020, possibly at all positions. Tony, I mentioned that we talked last week about Trey Lance. We compared him to Jamar Chase if we were picking from the perspective of the Washington Redskins. Now we're going to discuss Trey Lance versus Zach Wilson. And just we'll get right to it, Tony. Who would you take if you were Jacksonville in this spot? Yeah, let me first say before Jacksonville fans get worried, this is this is just our hypothetical scenario where they'd be locked out of, uh, out of the top two quarterbacks because they are selecting four. You know, it, it, I, it's sort of a tough call because Zach Wilson is making a late charge. He was a good quarterback at BYU the first two years. He's been flawless the first five weeks of the season. He's getting rave reviews off the field as well as on the field. So if Zach Wilson continues on the tear that he's presently on, and I'm picking between Trey Lance of North Dakota State or Zach Wilson, I'm going to go with Zach Wilson. And the reason I'm going to go with Zach Wilson is a couple of reasons. Number one, he's the guy with the hot hand. And I always believe that you've got to take a quarterback that's on the upward swing, or it's to the advantage of, of taking a quarterback that's on the upward swing. Granted, Trey Lance only played a single game this year, and he wasn't, it wasn't very inspiring. So I'm not going to hold that against him. But Zach, uh, Zach Wilson has played flawless football. I also am a big believer in body of work. Yeah, I mean, you look at many of the quarterbacks – that have really struggled and fallen by the wayside or, or even failed the, the Mitch Trubisky's of the world. And we've mentioned them in the past. These are guys that had one year starting experience on the college level. And it was such a steep learning curve. They couldn't keep up in the NFL and they've never lived up to expectations. I think that's a possibility for Trey Lance. Granted, he had no option uh, this year because his, his college only played one game. But I think with Zach Wilson, you're talking about a guy with a three-year body of work, a guy that's got great upside, someone that's really looking fantastic, and someone who's as good a football player off the field with his study habits and the way he approaches the game as he is on the field. So I think I'm going to surprise a lot of people and say, at this point in time, if Zach Wilson is able to keep up the momentum that he's shown the first half of the season – I would take him if I'm the Jacksonville Jaguars over Trey Lance. Yeah, I mean, you look at the major advantages that Trey Lance has over Zach Wilson. It's his size and it's his arm strength. I mean, both of these guys are mobile. Lance is obviously the more physical runner. He's a bigger guy. He can break tackles. Wilson has the ability to escape, but he's much smaller. He's ultimately looking to stay in the pocket because he is a passer first, whereas Lance is more of that true dual threat who's going to have running plays scripted for him, who's going to use read options uh, to be an effective quarterback as well. I mean, but when I watch Wilson, I see a guy who has a better feel in the pocket. He doesn't bail as quickly. Granted, he doesn't have the same physical gifts that Trey Lance does. And while he's a little bit small in terms of both height and just frame in general, he makes up for that. He uses some pump fakes well. He goes to different arm angles. He creates his own passing lanes, which as a shorter quarterback is something that you need to do. He's got good touch down the field. Doesn't have a rocket arm. I mean, I would take Lance's arm in terms of easy velocity, certainly over Wilson's. But it, Wilson has more than enough arm to make all the NFL throws you need, whether it's down the field, whether it's to the sideline. Um, I, I mean, when you look at Lance, his pass placement at times is, is a bit all over the place. I mean, we saw it against Central Arkansas, especially early in the game. And a lot of that, again, knocking off Rust, um, only game of the season. So we can't take too much of that against him and we got to take it a bit with a grain of salt but I mean right now Zach Wilson is the better passer Lance is more of that true dual threat 
as I mentioned. And really, I'm always going to take the better passer in a situation like this, especially one that also has mobility. Granted, this is based on Zach Wilson continuing to do what he's done, kind of like Joe Burrow did last year. We were talking about him after a month or two, how, you know, okay, you know, he's moving up draft boards. He's not quite there yet. Well, by the end of the season, he was there. Zach Wilson could easily find himself in the same spot. But Tony, I find it kind of funny that so many people in the draft community really just had something against Josh Allen, uh, who to me is a bigger Trey Lance with an even stronger arm. Uh, Lance never had the statistical struggles that Allen had, but Allen also threw about twice as many passes in college. Um, Wilson, by the end of this year, is going to have more than both of those guys by season's end, barring any serious injury or anything like that. So if we want to talk experience like you do and you know, I'd say his size is less of a concern than Lance's pass placement. The theoretical upside is probably higher here with Lance, but if everything continues on this trajectory, I'm going to actually agree with you here. I try my best to disagree just for, you know, great, uh, great chat here, but I'm going to go with Zach Wilson, you know, as long as this continues through the end of the year. The body of work is important. And, and let's not forget, I mean, he had to compete for that starting job at BYU this year. It wasn't just his uh, it wasn't handed to him. He had to compete for that. I think that says something for him. As far as uh, Josh Allen's concerned, that goes back to my point about you really want, or in my opinion, you want a quarterback that's on the upswing, someone who's really starting to hit his stride and hit his momentum. That's what Zach Wilson's doing. That's what Josh, Will, Will, uh, Josh Allen didn't do his junior year at Wyoming. Everyone was looking forward to him after a tremendous sophomore campaign, even had a good fresh freshman season didn't live up to expectations. Jordan Love a year ago, sort of the same situation. I mean, everyone was talking about Jordan Love before the uh, 2019 campaign began, failed to meet expectations. You heard a lot of bad things about him, went probably a lot later than people thought, but he's in a good situation. With Wilson, I, I mean, again, there's still another half of the season to play, but uh, a lot of upward mobility there, both on the football field and with his draft grade. Now, taking a look back at the week seven college football slate, the big game, the one we discussed ad nauseum last week was Alabama and Georgia. The tide came out on top in this one, 41-24. And we're going to have a comprehensive breakdown for you of what went down, just like we had a comprehensive preview. And this game really was close for a while. Uh, Georgia was leading late in the second quarter. Alabama pulled away late behind some big plays from Mac Jones, Devontae Smith, and Jalen Waddell, the usual suspects for the tide. Passing game really dominated in this one. Georgia's corners, who we've discussed a couple times on the show, really just couldn't contain Smith and Waddle. Smith had 11 catches for 167 yards and two touchdowns. He was his typical high-volume self, catching everything thrown his way, aggressively attacking the ball, winning out in every battle. But he also showed that he's really no slouch athletically, even if he's not quite as fast as someone like Waddle, who caught six balls for 161 yards. His 90-yard touchdown was the backbreaker in the second half of this game. Just ridiculous speed and quickness and acceleration. Uh, obviously, he's a bit small, but his ball skills are also really good. I came back nicely on an underthrown ball, caught it in tight coverage over the corner in coverage. Um, looking on the Georgia side, I mean, Tyson Campbell, I wouldn't say he was bad per se, but he gave up some slants and, and inside routes. He was beat by Waddle on that long touchdown. He had some ups too, but definitely some downs for Campbell. And really, he wasn't the only Georgia cornerback who struggled in this one to stop Smith and Waddle, but then again, who can stop these guys at this point? Well, first thing is, I mean, all the main players that we spoke about in our preview 
really showed up in this game and, and had a big part in this game. And, you know, it was close until Stetson Bennett threw that uh, interception uh, in the third quarter. And then Alabama just ran away with it. And I had a feeling that w- w- that's what was going to happen is that the Alabama offense was going to be able to outlast the Georgia offense. I-, I thought Tyson Campbell played reasonably well. That long TD, it looked like he either tripped over his own, own feet or the, the turf uh, came up and grabbed his foot. And he, he basically uh, fell out of his transition, although Waddle had a half a step. If he hadn't fallen down, I, I'm wondering what would have happened there. I, I, I thought uh, LeCount played reasonably well, did a good job with uh, uh, helping the helping the cornerbacks with the receivers over the middle. Stokes had his moments, but listen, you know, we, we knew going into the game, we knew coming into the season that Jalen Waddle is a big play receiver with the home run hitting speed. And he showed that. And Devonta Smith, I mean, what can you say about the guy? As I said, he is a much more polished version of Jerry Judy. I don't know that he's the deep threat of Jerry Judy, but he's a much more polished version. You saw that on the play where it looked like a sure interception. I believe it was against, uh, uh, I believe it was against uh, Tyson Campbell and Desvonta Smith just came back to the ball and, and uh, snatched it away and turned what looked like an interception into a first down reception. And if you ever read my Seattle reports and Chris will tell you because he proofreads my garbage writing, <laughs> but when it comes to receivers, I constantly say comes back to the ball out of breaks, comes back to the ball. And that's something that you've got receivers have to learn to do because if in the NFL, if you sit and you wait there for the ball to arrive, it's over because the defensive backs are, are on the NFL level are so, so fast. So Devonta Smith, I mean, he was just as steady as could be. Uh, obviously the Alabama receivers won out in that matchup, but I thought that the, uh, I didn't think that the, uh, the Georgia DBs really played poorly until late in the game uh, when it was in hand for the tide. Yeah. I mean, the stats can be a little bit deceiving there. I mean, they didn't play that badly, but they didn't do anything to stop these guys. But it's it was kind of unrealistic to have any sort of expectation uh, that this offense was going to be stopped. And, I mean, even if you look at Mac Jones, I mean, the guy doesn't have a rocket arm by any means, but his downfield passes 40 yards down the field, they are on point. I mean, he is dropping balls into the bucket, um, you know, whether – he knows that his receivers are going to be there and they're going to be the first ones of the ball or not. I mean, I've been impressed with just Mac Jones and, and how every downfield pass feels like it just falls right into his receiver's hands. His reads, his poise, the way he's run the offense, the way he spreads the ball around. I mean, that, that first touchdown that Alabama came out and scored right away was what the 40 yard pass to uh, John Mechie, I believe. Yep. Uh, and that was a corner blitz. And I said, I, I posted on Twitter that it was a busted play from the beginning. It was, it was a corner blitz. The safety was supposed to get over there and cover him. The safety didn't get over there and cover him. I was just wondering, watching that play, why they didn't have Richard LeCount uh, be the safety that got over to cover the receiver when the corner blitzed because LeCount uh, has got some pretty good ball skills. Uh, and that was uh, basically, that was just an early and easy score for Alabama. Now, the other matchup in this game that involved some potential first-round picks was Alabama left tackle Alex Leatherwood and Georgia linebacker and rusher Aziz Ojolari. And in this one, I mean, it's Alabama's receivers were, you know, easily the winners of the other battle. I, I In this one, both of these guys really impressed me. No sacks for Ojolari, but he did bat down multiple passes, got some pressure on Mac Jones, and he got pressure really quickly. I mean, within two, three seconds sometimes. 
he's in Mac Jones's face. First play of the game, he tips a pass as Jones is throwing. It leads to an interception. Never got home, but definitely had some impact plays in this game. But then when you look at the other side, Leatherwood, I thought he fared pretty well against Ojulari overall. Obviously, a couple of plays didn't go his way, but a good wide base for Leatherwood. Used his length and his strength to move Ojulari off his pass rush at some times, really just wash him out of the play. They use Leatherwood in motion a bit, too. They pull him out, lead on run plays. He's athletic enough to be effective there. Uh, Tony, I don't know if you agree with my assessment here that nobody won this battle specifically, but how do you feel each prospect performed in this really big matchup for each of them? Yeah, I mean, Ojolari, they kind of used him differently this time than I've seen in the past. In the past, it's basically just up the field or in the box. I saw them, I saw him dropping the coverage a lot and basically cover a good amount of area on the field. Uh, but still, he's very athletic. If he's not making plays up the field, you saw the athleticism and you saw the speed. Um, you you saw, saw the sheer upside. And Leatherwood, you know, as we spoke about, I've got Leatherwood graded much higher than most people. I think the only thing he's got to really work on is improving his finishing strength. Uh, he's got good footwork. He's real good in pass protection. He slides out well, mechanically very sound, bends his knees and uses his hands well. As you said, was very good on the second level. Uh, sort of a, a miniature Andrew Thomas type, if you will. And like Andrew Thomas last year at Georgia, Leatherwood's just got to get a little bit stronger and learn to finish his blocks. Now staying in the trenches, but moving inside here to center Landon Dickerson, who definitively won his battles with both Jordan Davis and Devontae Wyatt. He did a nice job neutralizing Davis's power. Davis really couldn't get any push into the backfield. He also kept Wyatt at bay with his strength. Did a nice job keeping his head on a swivel, peeled off to the backside when maybe he didn't have someone to block, but there was a blitzer coming late. Uh, just good awareness overall from Dicker. Good awareness overall from Dickerson. Very little interior pressure from the Bulldogs in this one. And really much of that was due to Dickerson's work on the inside. Dickerson to me was fantastic. I, I mean, he's a guy who he's not the most no uh, mobile guy. He's not, he's not the most nimble guy, but he was absolutely dominant. I mean, he, he did a great job. I mean, neutralizing the power of Jordan Davis. And he was able, also able to handle uh, Devontae Wyatt's speed and explosion and quickness off the snap. He was able to adjust to him and block down on him. Well, Devontae Wyatt made a great play out to the sidelines on one down. Also did a good job on Julian Rochester, who a fifth-year senior who uh, was good in 2018, missed most of last year with an injury. But really, I, I, Dickerson's a guy who – Watching him play, I put out a tweet that, uh, you know, hypothetically the Jets were going to take him in the fourth round because they need a receiver. Uh, just very, very impressive. Not the prettiest, not the most athletic, not the swiftest on his feet, say, compared to Leatherwood, but someone who is mean, tough, and, and nasty. And, and I think I, I compared him last week to uh, Bradley Bozeman, uh, the starting offensive guard for the Baltimore Ravens, who played center at, uh, for the uh, Crimson Tide. And I think that's uh, that's exactly who he is. He may be even a better version of uh, Bozeman, who right now is a starting guard for the uh, for the Ravens. Now, last but definitely not least, Najee Harris had his second straight 150-yard game on the ground. Only one touchdown and one reception. But I do want to highlight that catch because it really showed why Harris has some three-down potential at the next level. Did a nice job adjusting behind him on a ball that was thrown between two defenders. And I've seen Harris several times before make catches that a lot of running backs wouldn't. 
a lot of people kind of overlook his ability in the passing game, but I absolutely think he's an effective receiver in addition to being a good pass blocker, a great patience, obviously, as a runner, enough speed to get to the edge. Harris is the kind of player that you think he's down, maybe you turn away from your TV for a second, and then you look back up and play's still going, and he's five yards down the field. Um, you know, he's, he's just that kind of guy who's not going to go down, and you know, definitely an impressive performance from him, even if it wasn't statistically insane as the season has been so far this year. Monty Rice, who we were watching on the other end in terms of uh, what he would be able to do in the run game against Harris, had six tackles overall, didn't have a big game, was kind of in and out. He was a game-time decision heading in, so obviously wasn't quite 100% healthy to play all the snaps, but all things considered, I didn't think it was a bad game from Rice. Did bring Harris right down on one play, wasn't getting dragged, did the same on John Mechie, who certainly isn't Najee Harris in terms of size, but I do know, Tony, heading in that that was kind of a concern of yours on Rice. Overall, limited snaps for the Georgia linebacker certainly didn't help in terms of him making a big impact on the game. But I thought when he was out there, uh, Rice played pretty well. Yeah, he looked a little bit beaten up, but he came back. He competed. He fought. You know, he's got the he's got outstanding uh, side uh, lateral speed. Very good in pursuit. Najee Harris. I, I mean, he's a guy who's been my number one rated running back. He's someone who, as I said all along, I think he is a first round talent that plays a second round position. And I think he's going to be underdrafted. He's someone that has the, the power to pound that on the inside, the quickness to uh, bounce around or avoid piles, the speed to turn the corner, really just a terrific all around back that I think someone's going to get a steal next April, late first round, early second round. Now, ladies and gentlemen, the big 10, as we mentioned before is officially back as is Minnesota junior wide receiver Rashad Bateman. And he's part of our first preview here for week eight of the college football season. Bateman opted back into the season a couple weeks ago, and he's going to be challenged immediately in this one by Michigan senior corner, Ambry Thomas, 60 catches for 1,219 yards and 11 scores last year for Bateman. Those numbers should skyrocket. And it's hard to imagine them skyrocketing, but Tyler Johnson, who caught a lot of passes last year for Minnesota is gone to the NFL Bateman is now the main show in town, and he is certainly a show. He's big, fast, has great ball skills, really the complete package at receiver and a potential number one receiver at the NFL level. Thomas has all of that, too, that I mentioned about Bateman before, minus about 30 pounds. So Bateman does have somewhat of a physical advantage on Thomas, but don't sleep on Thomas because he's a player himself. I'd expect him to be up for the challenge in this one. It's just a matter of what up for the challenge really entails in terms of what kind of performance he can hold Bateman to. I mean, Bateman is a guy kind of like the Alabama receivers we talked about before. I mean, he's a guy you just hope to contain and keep slightly under wraps rather than stopping him entirely. The first irony is both these guys, Bateman and Thomas initially opted out of the season and we're going to train for the draft. And then when the big 10 announced that they were coming back or coming back much sooner than expected, they opted back in, which I think was 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 terrific for both of them. As far as Thomas is concerned, this is the first of two really big tests for him. The other one is going to come against Chris Olave of uh, of Ohio State. But this is probably uh, this is a game that a lot of scouts are going to watch, especially from Thomas, because Thomas gets a, a variety of opinions in the scouting community. I presently have him as a second rounder. There are some scouts that have him as a second rounder. But there are also scouts who think he's more late fourth, early fifth round talent. As you said, he's more of a thinner guy, but he's got good speed. He's got real good ball skills. 
does a terrific job making plays with his back to the ball where he's able to read the receiver's eyes, get his head back around, locate the pass uh, and, and make him and make a play on the ball. Now, you know, Bateman is, he's got excellent size and speed, but he's also a very physical receiver. I mean, he's not afraid to get up in a crowd. He's not afraid to, uh, you know, to use his frame and box out and out muscle cornerbacks uh, come away with the ball. So, it's, it's a big, important test for Thomas, especially. Now, we'll stick in the same conference and go to a different matchup, this time in the trenches between two players that a lot of people really don't talk about, at least as much as they should. That's redshirt sophomore tackle Rasheed Walker of Penn State and Indiana edge rusher James Head Jr., also a junior. Now, Head had just two and a half sacks last season, but he's an explosive athlete, good speed off the edge, a bit light at the moment, but he does have a frame that he can fill out for a potential NFL future. Walker, despite his youth, is already there physically. Good size and length, slides well out to the edge, can move around a bit in the run game as well. Probably has the advantage in this matchup, but if you watch Head here and, and he can start the season hot, it's going to be a bit of a coming out party for a potential breakout 2020 campaign for a player who really needs to start putting disruption into statistics in terms of being a, an elite level pass rusher in the draft. These are two players that not a lot of people talk about. And these are two players that when I watched the film, the 2019 film over the summer, they just blew me away. Walker's big, but he's also fundamentally sound. He's very patient. He, he's got excellent footwork. I mean, people talk about his teammate, William freeze who plays one tackle spot, but really, I, I, I mean, uh, snap after snap, it's Rasheed Walker, 6'5", 315 pounds, who's only going to be, be a redshirt sophomore, who's the more athletic one. When it comes to uh, Head, I mean, Head is an explosive guy. He comes out of a three-point stance. He stands over tackle. He, he's a bit undersized, but he's got some growth potential. He's fast up the field. Really, when he was on his game last year, he was tough to stop. And I've got a third-round grade on him. That may be a, a bit early. But that really has a lot to do with the potential I see on, uh, with him and, and the ability and his upside, which obviously I hope he meets. If he doesn't, he's going to drop down draft boards. Now, two SEC players making a ton of noise so far this season feature in our next matchup to watch. That's LSU junior wide receiver Terrace Marshall Jr. and South Carolina junior cornerback J.C. Horn. Marshall, not the game-breaking type of receiver. He's no Jamar Chase or Justin Jefferson in that sense but he has great size. He wins out in battles, 46 catches for 671 yards last year. He's only 247 yards away from that total here in 2020. He also had 13 touchdown catches last year, even with no Jamar chase and no Justin Jefferson though, you would think that number would be tough to reach in 2020, especially without Joe Burrow, but seven touchdowns already for Marshall in three games, at least two in every game. It's probably going to be tough for him to make it four straight games, with multiple touchdowns, though, against Horn, who can nearly match Marshall's size, probably the better athlete, ball skills to make the aforementioned battles maybe more interesting 50-50 type of propositions. Held Seth Williams last week to four catches for 74 yards, had two picks and four pass breakups of his own, six combined passes defended, four receptions allowed. That says a lot about the performance Horn had last week. And really, like Bateman and Thomas, this is going to be a really fun matchup between a receiver and a corner. Yeah, it's unbelievable the receiver talent that they're able to attract and develop at LSU. You know, Terrace Marshall goes from being the number three receiver a year ago to the number one guy this year when he's thrust into it, 
after Jamar Chase opts out for the season. And all the guy does is just step up his game. And he goes from someone who, you know, a lot of people say, well, let's look at his potential to someone that if he enters the draft, which I expect him to, at the very least, he's going to be an early to mid second round choice. If he runs really well, he could go, he could go earlier than that, but really he's done it all. And he's the only guy there or he was, uh, was forced to step up his game and deserves an incredible amount of talent. He's got decent size. Speed is okay. Not the fastest guy, not a guy with the second gear, but he catches the ball incredibly well. He's got great eye hand coordination, shows great awareness. And now he's going to go against JC Horn, who really had a breakout game last week against Seth Williams of Auburn and JC Horn. When we did our uh, SEC preview over the summer, he was my number one rated prospect on the South Carolina Gamecock uh, depth chart. I graded him as a third round choice. I I saw a lot of flashes uh, of his ability uh, last season, the son of Joe Horn, the former NFL player. And man, what a game he had last week. He's got excellent size. He's got excellent speed. We saw the ball skills uh, against uh, Auburn. He basically had, a, a, I don't want to say a season's worth of production, but a month's worth of production in that one game against Auburn. Uh, Seth Williams is a bigger, a sturdier receiver. He's going to be going up against a guy who's a little bit quicker, slightly faster in Terrace Marshall. Uh, this is a big time matchup for guys that I think are fighting for positioning somewhere in the mid to early part of round two. Now for our final preview this week, we'll hit the ACC and we'll go back to Pittsburgh to watch senior defensive ends, Patrick Jones and Rashad Weaver go up against Notre Dame offensive tackles, left tackle, Liam Eikenberg and right tackle, Robert Hainsey. Jones already has seven sacks in six games already almost to his 2019 total of eight sacks and Weaver's not far behind four and a half sacks in five games missed the opener due to due to some COVID testing confusion. Uh, both of these guys are good athletes. Weaver is a bit bigger, really hasn't missed a beat in 2020 after he missed all of last year with a knee injury on the other side, looking at the Irish Eichenberg is another good pass protecting left tackle. As we've talked about a lot, the past couple of weeks, Eichenberg's really held his own against similar pass rushers to the pit duo in the past. We'll see if he can continue that momentum this week. Hainsey doesn't quite have the size of Eichenberg. Might be a better athlete, though. And as a result, some people view him as more of a guard at the NFL level than a tackle. But he's a tackle right now, and he's, as a result, going to face off against a lot of Weaver and a lot of Jones. Watch the edges in this contest, because there should be plenty of good battles between these duos. We previewed Pitt's uh, defense uh, over the summer, and that was when uh, Twyman was expected to play, and then he opted out. But they're still they're one of the best pass-rushing teams in the nation. They're also a darn good run-stuffing team. So, you know, as you said, I, I like Liam Eichenberg. I have him graded as a third-round choice right now. Scouts coming into the season thought maybe fourth round, but he's tall. Not the niftiest guy. Don't know if he's going to be able to stay at left tackle in the NFL, but he does a great job using angles and positioning. I think the pit edge rushers are going to have a bit of an athletic advantage over Eichenberg, but I think Eichenberg, the way he plays and makes plays with his head uh, is going to have an advantage there. You know, Hainsey, you said maybe a guard at the next level, not the the nimblest guy or, or the quickest guy, not a guy that's got great footwork, but someone who gets the job done. Also keep an eye on their interior guys. Uh, offensive guard Aaron Banks, who I have highly rated. Offensive guard Tommy Kramer, who I've got 
graded as a, as a uh, day three pick and then center Jarrett Patterson, because on the times that uh, Pittsburgh doesn't rush the edge, maybe they run a stunt to twist on the inside. Maybe they blitz. Uh, keep an eye on those guys from Notre Dame. Notre Dame has an NFL type of offensive line. I was surprised they didn't move or push Louisville up and down the field last week, as I had expected. This is a big challenge for uh really both the uh, Notre Dame offensive line as well as the pit edge, edge rushers. But I would give the Panthers a slight edge on this one. And that's it for the 158th episode of the Draft Analyst presented by the Believe Sports Podcast Network. Do you believe? If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe on any of the major podcast platforms and leave us a rating and a review. And feel free to ask us questions on Twitter that we'd be happy to answer on the show. We'll be back next week with more college football and NFL draft talk now that all the major conferences but one are back on the field. But until then, on behalf of Tony Pauline, I'm Chris Trabodi, and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.